0: you're listening to su the big screen hosted by james murphy the official podcast of wqsu 88.9 the pulse and now our feature presentation Hello and welcome back to another episode of SU, The Big Screen, hosted by me, James Murphy. And today we have a very special episode because we're going to be ranking the top 10 best movies of 2022. And before we get started, I do have a few notes I'd like to go over. For one, I didn't see every single movie that came out in 2022. So if there's a movie that you thought should have been on this list but wasn't on it, then there's a good chance I probably just didn't see it. But uh, before... I go into detail about all of the uh, the movies I have and why I have them placed where they do. I just want everyone to know that this is not a list that you should take to heart. This is my own personal opinion. Everyone has their own different list, and I would encourage you to make your own and see how they would compare to mine and what other people probably think because there's quite a few uh, guilty pleasures on this list, some films that you probably wouldn't expect. But uh, without further ado, let's just jump right into it and start with number 10. So, at number 10, I have Black Adam. So, this was a definitely a unique experience, to say the least. There's definitely a lot that I didn't like about this film, but it's just so funny. Like, it's not funny in like like when they're trying to tell a joke. Like, when they tell jokes in the movie, a lot of them don't land. But it's funny for all the wrong reasons, and for that, I feel like it deserves to be on the best list. It probably doesn't, but... You know, it's my list, I can do what I want, and I feel like this was just a fun movie to watch. Like, if you can just not take it seriously and go into it knowing what you're gonna get is just The Rock, like, in a superhero costume. It's basically just The Rock being The Rock, but, uh, I mean, The Rock has not had a very good track record when it comes to films. I am not really a fan of anything that he has ever done except for Jumanji and i don't think that he's really as big of a star as he thinks he is i i just don't think he's a very good actor in general he kind of plays the same character in all of his movies but in this one he plays black adam who's a dc character and black adam has a very thick accent like if you look in dc comics lore He's not really playing the character that he's supposed to. He's basically just The Rock in a costume, like I said, but the real Black Adam has an accent, and he's kind of Russian, but he just like sounds like The Rock. It's just The Rock talking normally, and it doesn't really work. I didn't like that at all, but I kind of gave it a pass because the writing was just so funny, <laughs> like, and, and not in an intentional way. Everything about this movie that works was completely unintentional, I don't think there was anything in this film that worked like they were hoping it would when they were like thinking of um, writing the script. Execution is what really made this movie <laughs> Gale High on my list because I think that there was a lot writing on this cuz the DC has uh, the DC universe has been going downhill lately. I think that they haven't really been trying with their scripts. They haven't really been doing anything original they've kind of just been trying to copy the marvel formula and it has not been working out for them but i i now i heard because of this movie and it sales didn't do as well as they had hoped that they're gonna reboot the whole thing and they're gonna have james gunn just write the entire dc universe going forward and now it's like a question as to whether the rock is even going to continue to be black adam and if he's even going to stay in the universe uh, I know with Shazam 2 coming out um, in a few weeks, it's going to be interesting to see what's going to happen because now that the entire universe is going to be rebooted, like, does the new Shazam even hold weight? Like, is it even going to, like, matter at all if they're just going to change everything? But we'll just have to wait and see. But as, as far as Black Adam goes, uh, there were a few characters I liked. I liked um, Dr. Fate. He, he was cool. He had some uh, memorable stuff. I don't like what they did with his character at the end. I won't spoil anything. I don't. I, I don't like what they did. Like for his character at the end of the movie, it just didn't make any sense to me. I mean, I understand why they did it, but it just was like it. it just it was so stupid. I mean, it, it didn't make any sense. But you know, it, it's hard to go into detail without straight up like spoiling what happened. So I'm gonna try and be vague about it but uh, as far as the other characters go there's these two other characters I don't even remember their names uh, they're also with the crew of Dr. Fate there's this one dude who's like I think it's Adam Smasher he can like he's basically just Ant-Man and then there's also this other girl who I don't remember her name she like spins around and she has like wind powers and she can turn herself into a hurricane. If those two characters had been cut out of the film entirely, nothing would have changed. Like, literally, nothing would have changed at all. The fact that they were in there at all, I kind of felt like it was just because they needed more characters other than Black Adam, because Black Adam is just kind of the focus. But it, 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 they just were completely unnecessary. And there was a um, Hawkman. Hawkman was cool. He had a few good moments. He's basically like Black Adam's opposite, where he's like, "Oh, we can't kill people because killing people is wrong. And if you kill people, you're not a hero." So, and Black Adam's like, "Nah, I'm just gonna kill anybody. Like, I don't care. Like, I'm not a hero. I never said I was a hero." So, their kind of dynamic was cool to see. Um, but I think overall, as an entire package, it, it was it was a good um, it was a good film to sit through. It, it was definitely not like of good quality. But it was fun. So, I mean, I, I think it deserves a spot at the very bottom of my list. So, number nine, we have the bad guys. So, the bad guys, I think, is a turning point for DreamWorks. DreamWorks used to be one of the driving forces of animation. They had really good films, like with Shrek, and they had How to Train Your Dragon and Kung Fu Panda. But... In the past few years, they've kind of been slipping. Like they, They've they been releasing stuff like Trolls and The Boss Baby. And when they were making films like that, I thought like DreamWorks was dead. But it seems like they're doing kind of a resurgence. Uh, they're doing the 2D, 3D animation style, the mix of both of them. And The Bad Guys was a very good movie. It was very um, entertaining. Uh, I love the style of it. I love how unique it was. Uh, there's definitely a lot to like in this film. I think if they if DreamWorks continues to stick with films like this instead of trolls, then I think that they could be a real contender to uh, Disney, because Disney has kind of been going downhill. And I think if DreamWorks can continue with this momentum they have, then I think they have a real good shot of like overthrowing Disney at the box office, especially with Lightyear, because Lightyear was like Disney's big summer hit, and that movie bombed. And unlike DreamWorks, DreamWorks' films didn't bomb this year. They also had another film, which I will get to later in the list, that I also um, think is worth being on the best of the year list, but I'll get to that in a few more spots down the line. But The Bad Guys was good. I liked all the characters. Um, I think there was a lot that didn't make sense, though, in, in terms of like how the main characters are all animals, and then everyone else in the background is just a human. Uh, I don't think they did a really good job on like building the world, but it's not really about the world. It's kind of just focused on, on the main characters, which is the piranha shark wolf uh spider or no tarantula mrs tarantula and um one of the oh the snake yeah the snake and the snake um character he was really cool because he had a cool dynamic with wolf and kind of like black adam and Hawkman. man it's like snake he's like i want to be a bad guy and if you don't want to be a bad guy anymore then you know you're not really part of our crew you're not really my friend and wolf's just like nah I, i'm sick of this i want to be a good guy i'm tired of being hated by everybody. And I thought they had a nice resolution at the end where all of the uh, character conflicts kind of just came um, together and they had an actual resolution that kind of taught a good lesson about like, you know, taking responsibility for your actions. And it you might think that this is a kid's movie, but it's actually a lot mature than I thought it was going to be. It definitely had a lot to offer for more people other than just kids. And I think that's what I respect about it the most is that it doesn't like treat the audience like they're idiots. Like it actually treats them with respect and it shows them stuff that people of all ages can enjoy. So this is definitely a movie that I would recommend for anybody. I think kids would enjoy it. I think adults will enjoy it too. And that's kind of the uh, the best you could ask for for any um, animated movie because when it comes to animated films, a lot of people just assume that animation is for kids, but it's not. There's a lot of mature stories out there that are told in animated forms that I think a lot of adults just miss out on because they have that barrier in their minds that it's not meant for adults, it's meant for kids. But that's not true. I mean, some of the best movies of all time are animated and they're mature stories that can work for kids and for adults. I mean, just look at... A lot of Pixar's early days, like uh, Ratatouille and The Incredibles, I mean, those are two of my favorite movies of all time, and although The uh, the Bad Guys doesn't really reach that quality, it's still good on its own, and it's still a pretty good movie, and I'm excited to see where DreamWorks is going to go next with this. Um, so, next, number eight, I have Jackass Forever. This was, without a doubt, one of the best experiences I've ever had in a movie theater, and it was just so it was so funny it's so great to see you know the jackass crew continue to do what they've been doing for years now uh this is a movie that i never even thought was gonna be made i thought that they were done after three so to see them come back and the fact that they could make a movie like this after so long between uh last year and when they made jackass three i think it was like 10 years before they released um uh jackass forever And the fact that they seem like they just don't miss a step, you know, after so long. It's crazy to me that they can continue to do what they're doing and what they're doing with their bodies. It's just insane. I laugh so hard. (laughs) There were so many good uh, uh, skits in this film and so many stunts that were insane. There there was moments where I was laughing. There was moments when I had my jaw just open because I couldn't believe what I was seeing on the screen. There was a scene where <laughs> uh, I think it was a Steve-O. He had a queen bee attached to his hand, and he was completely naked, and he ha- he was just, just surrounded by himself by bees by holding the queen, and he was covered in bees from like head to toe, and it was just so sick and so like stupid. Uh, that 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 was the most memorable moment for me. There was another one, or I don't remember who it was, but one of the guys like was just planking on the ground, and this other dude had like a pogo stick. And the guy on the ground was testing how, like, his cover on his balls, like, you know, I don't know the term for it, but the baseball covers that they used to protect their balls from baseballs like, getting thrown at them, he had one of those covers on, and they were trying to test to see if the pogo stick could, like, withstand the cover, and unfortunately for him, it did not, and it was just so funny. There's just a lot of moments that are absolutely insane and so fun to watch and it it was just a blast and you know by the way I'm describing it you might be surprised that I have it so low on the list but I mean you got to remember that this isn't like an artistic film (laughs) this isn't like you know a film that's trying to be emotional it's just a bunch of guys doing stunts and just like just doing pranks and hurting themselves for our entertainment and I think for that it's worth being on the list alone but I I think 8 is a good spot for it. It definitely was an enjoyable watch, and it's definitely something that I would recommend to everybody. Uh, But uh probably not people who are weak of heart though because there are some intense stuff like there's a lot of intense moments in this film and not intense in like a nail-biting way but intense of like uh, a <laughs> you're watching the screen and you're like i can't believe that this is on my screen right now and they're actually doing what they're doing i don't want to say too much because i would prefer that you just go out and see it for yourself um but I mean, it's kind of hard, like I said earlier, to just kind of describe these films without uh, spoiling it. But, I mean, it's just, I definitely would just recommend you just go watch it. Because no amount of words can describe how insane this movie is. So, at number seven on my list, I have The Menu. And this is a film starring Ralph Fiennes and Anya Taylor-Joy. And Ralph Fiennes plays a head chef on this restaurant in an island that he owns, and he invites all of these guests out to try his food, and it turns out that the guests are actually going to get a lot more than what they bargained for, and that's all I will say without giving away too much. Uh, This is a thriller film. It's definitely not a thriller from what you can expect, you know, on, uh, from watching the trailer or looking at the poster. It doesn't look like a thriller when you see that, but it is absolutely is. It, it goes balls to the wall after this one scene and like the 20 minute mark involving one of the chefs and himself like being one of the courses um, for the guests. And that's all I'll say <laughs> about that one. Uh, but it, it, from that scene on, it's just balls to the wall, just straight up thriller and it's very intense in a good way it was definitely more intense than i thought it was going to be i mean when you look at a film like this you think it's just going to be like a foodie film and it's going to be like a bunch of people just go to this restaurant eat food it's not that at all it has so many layers and it has so many different things that you can analyze from it it's definitely something that has a lot to offer for everybody because even if you look at this film at face value as like a film of just like you know, food critics going to a restaurant to review food. You could take this like kind of concept and attach it to anything. Like you take a bunch of movie reviewers to go like to an island to see a movie, or you take a bunch of like painters and you take them to an art gallery to see a head like paint or like a painter. Uh, you know, there's not very good examples, but <laughs> you, you get what I'm saying. Like this is something that doesn't apply to just food. You could take this entire concept and apply it to anything. And I love how well done they did with you know, the deeper layers that they had of this film and the deeper meanings of the things that they were trying to go for. This was definitely a film that you can tell there was a lot of effort put into it. The script is great. There's a lot of um, parts written that were very smart and there's just little nods and little details that really stood out because this is a film that just goes with less is more. And that's like one of the best things a film could ever show is less than more. Because a lot of films, I feel like they have to be flashy and they have to show a lot. And you know, if they get bigger and bigger and bigger, they start to lose their focus. But this is a film that knows what it is and it hones in on its concepts and its themes and ideals and it executes them perfectly. Like it's really good. I I, I just can't really put into words just how good this film is because it, it's just so hard without spoiling it. So. This is one that I will also recommend. Uh, All these films that I have on my list, I would recommend you go check out. But this one especially, I think it's definitely worth your time if you're into thrillers in general. And that's probably the best way I could describe it. It's just an intense thriller that has so much to offer, even more than just that. So at number six, I have VHS 99. This was a a straight-to-a-shutter film. Shudder, for those of you who don't know, is a horror uh, streaming site. It's basically the Netflix of horror, and there's a lot on there that's kind of just bad. Like, is it's, it's not really a good site, but VHS 99 is the fifth uh, movie in the VHS franchise. VHS, for those of you who don't know, is an anthology horror film franchise where different directors can come in and make short films, and they'll get added together into one giant film. And it tries to give a cohesive narrative for all the short films to be together. Sometimes it doesn't really work, like with VHS Viral, which is the third one. I think VHS Viral is really bad. But after that, I didn't think there was going to be any more VHS films. But surprisingly enough, we got this one. And this is the fifth one. Shutter also did VHS 96, I believe was the name of the last one. That one came out a few years ago. And they did the exact same thing with that one that they did with this one. Except for this one. The shorts were actually really good. Uh, 96 wasn't bad. It was definitely a good return to form for the franchise because VHS Viral kind of just killed all the momentum from the first two, and the first two are really good. So after viral, I thought for sure there was no way they were ever gonna go back to the same quality as the first two, and this one I think it's as close as it uh, gets in terms of being in good quality compared to the second one, because VHS two is like an insane, like scary horror film, and it's very underrated in one that a lot of people have not seen or heard of. So that's why I wanted to include this one on the list because it is, it's, it's great. Like the last segment in particular of VHS ninety nine. And it involves this uh, pair of friends, and they end up getting sent to hell in a exorcist uh, gone wrong. And that's just one of them. And there's four other segments, and they're all unique and different in their own way. And there's not really a cohesive narrative with this one. They kind of replaced that. Like, with the other films, they always had, like, a narrative that had a reason for all the films to be together. Like, in the first two, there's just, like, uh, scenes of these people going into this house and they just watch the tapes and like in the first one it's just a bunch of like robbers break into a house and they needed to steal the tapes for an employer of theirs who hired them to do it so when they get to the house they start watching the tapes and that's how the short films you know go throughout the film but in this one they just kind of don't have a narrative at all which I actually like because it's unique and it's different from the other ones because in the last one there was a narrative of like these police officers where they raid this building and while they're raiding the building there's tape just playing on the screens as they're going through and that's how the films show the tapes throughout the movie but they just straight up like get rid of the narrative and I think that's good in my eyes because the narratives have always been my least favorite part of the VHS films I don't think they really needed to have them all be connected in a way Uh, there was no narrative in this one so there was no way to connect all the short films so they're kind of just playing them all back to back to back but that was perfectly fine with me that didn't bother me at all because I think the short films here are as good as they've gotten since the second one but yeah, I mean, in in this film, there's five different short films, and obviously some are better than others. I think the first one is probably the weakest one, so it was kind of good, in a way that they started with that one because it all kind of just goes uphill from there. But uh, I think other than the first one, the others are all very good, and they're all unique in their own way. And you know, it's not something that you would think would flow very well because there's no narrative, like I said. But it actually flowed pretty nicely, even without the narrative, you know, even though they're all unique, they all kind of mesh together and they all felt like, you know, they belonged in the same film and not one really stuck out other than the others in the bad way in terms of like the quality. They, they all kind of work very well together, and it's a very neat package, like, all together. This film as a whole has a lot to offer, and I definitely would recommend it if you're a horror fan, especially. And if you've never seen any of the VHS films, I would definitely recommend the first two. Just skip the third one. VHS Virals, just don't even watch it. Just don't even watch it. All right, so now we are at the halfway point. At number five, I have Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Now, before you think I'm insane, before you think I'm crazy for this one, let me just start off by saying there are a few moments in this film that are absolute cringe, and there are absolute, like, moments made for children. Like, there's a scene involving Sonic and Tails having a dance-off in a bar against this, like, Rasputin-looking guy, and he just starts, like, doing, like, Russian dances and stuff. It It was so cringe. I wanted to die, but... Um, And there's also moments where, like, Dr. Eggman, he's, like, doing Fortnite dances. It's so stupid. But ignoring those small few moments, the entire film as a whole is so fun. Like, it's just such a fun film. That's probably the best word I can use to describe it. And this is 100% probably a guilty pleasure just for me. And I'm not even that big of a Sonic fan. But this is probably one of the most, like, fun movies that I've seen in a long time. It was definitely a movie that it was entertaining to watch. And there were moments that all stood out on its own as being like great, even despite the fact that there's a few smaller moments of cringe with moments that are meant for children. And just hearing that might kind of turn you off just by the way like I'm describing it but I think as a whole, the story is great. I think the introduction of just Knuckles and Tails was awesome. I think to be able to see those characters on the big screen was just great for me. And that's why the first Sonic movie didn't really work for me because Sonic and Eggman were the only people in it. But with Sonic, you have this whole wide variety of characters you could pick from. And the fact that they only had two of them, which was Sonic and Eggman, it just it didn't work for me because Eggman's already, like, a human. Like, he's played by Jim Carrey, and Jim Carrey is an amazing actor. And he does an amazing job here. Um, and he didn't, like, really stand out in the first one. I feel like in the first one, he was kind of trying a little too hard to be eccentric and funny. In the second one, it works really well. Like And, and the, the new one that uh, came out this year, Sonic 2, That one was really good. I thought his performance was great. I thought that um, Sonic himself as a character, he's actually a lot more deep than you might think. Because if you think of Sonic, he's just like a blue hedgehog who runs fast. But they actually give him a whole lot more to work with other than that. Because he has to deal with the loss of his mother who died in the first one, Long Claw, And he's trying to cope with that. And it gets a lot more emotional than you think it would be. And those moments kind of stand out to me more than the cringe moments. I mean, if the entire film was nothing but like stupid cringe, I would have put it on the worst list. But it's just it's too fun not to like. I mean, there's just too much in here that just screams enjoyability. And even the moments like there's a whole subplot involving like the side character and a wedding that I saw a lot of people online were like, whenever I would cut back to her and the wedding, it was kind of like distracting because it wasn't focusing on any of the Sonic stuff. Even that stuff, to me, didn't bother me at all because I still liked that whole side plot, what they were going for. I mean, it didn't really feel like it belonged in a Sonic film, but it was still enjoyable to me to where it didn't compromise anything, even though the cringe almost did. (laughs) If if there had more... If there had been more scenes of, like, Fortnite dances and, like, dance-offs and, like, moments that were meant specifically for kids, I would have hated this film. But those are so small and far and in between compared to the big moments of just, like, just like stuff on the screen that was just, you know, just insane to watch, like, in a good way. Like, Knuckles and uh, Sonic, they have a great fight scene in a temple underwater, and uh, it, it was just a great scene. It was one of the most uh, memorable fight scenes of the entire year for me. And I might sound stupid for saying it, but I, I don't care. I mean, it, it was just so enjoyable to watch. It was so fun. I, I think fun is kind of just the best word that I can use to describe it because it was the most like heartwarming film that I've seen in a long time. And even though it's like, they're trying to have moments where it feels like it's meant for kids. There's also a bigger narrative like about just family and, and it did it better than Fast and the Furious. Like Fast and the Furious, has always been about like family. And They're like, oh, we can do anything without well without family. We are nothing Vin Diesel just says family for like two hours It's like most of the Fast and the Furious movies But in this one it has an actual message about family and about like working together as a team And they did it better than Fast and the Furious They did it better on their like first attempt compared to Fast and the Furious who has been trying to do it for like now it's gonna be ten films coming up this summer so that was awesome it was so funny to me it was so, it was so like funny that they were able to pull that off and fast and the Furious couldn't do it and that's all i kept really thinking of in the theater when i was watching it. it was like they're doing a pretty good narrative about like working together as a team and like how you shouldn't do things on your own and it's not just sonic too like knuckles has a great arc about like learning how to accept the loss of his father because, you know, they, that's how him and Sonic kind of bond on the beach. That was a great scene, too. When they were just chilling on the beach after they had fought each other. And they're just, like, going over, like, the stuff from their past and how much they really had in common. And It was it was great. It was really mature. And, you know, especially compared to the fact that they had scenes earlier where they're just doing stupid dance-offs. Where they're dancing the like, Uptown Funk in a, in a bar. Like, it, that, those scenes were really stupid. But... The other scenes, like the beach scene of them just talking on the beach, it was just so engaging, and it was so mature, and it was exactly what I wish the entire movie was, and if the entire movie was like that, I probably would have put it higher on my list, but those moments of stupidity kind of take it down a notch for me, but as a whole package, it's a great film, it's so enjoyable, I think Sonic fans in particular are gonna love this one, I think even if you're not a fan of Sonic, I think you'll still like it, but... Yeah, I, th- I think it was it was a great time at the, at the theaters, and that's really all I could ask for for a film like this because I honestly could have thought this would have gone either way, but it blew my expectations away in a good way, and it was definitely a lot better than anything I could have ever hoped for. At number four on my list, I have Top Gun Maverick. Now, for a lot of you out there, this might be your number one. I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if this is what a lot of other people's number one films of the year are. And I definitely understand why it got as popular as it did. This definitely, like, was the big summer blockbuster hit. Like, this was definitely the movie that a lot of people are going to remember the summer of 2022 for. And it's because this movie just blew open the box office. Like, it just destroyed it. it. it sold so many tickets. And it was so good, you know? It was, it was really good. I was expecting this movie to be complete, like, trash. I didn't expect it to be good at all. I feel like there's been too many films... That have come out recently where they're sequels to like older films that a lot of people remember finally, and they just try to cash in on that name and they completely miss the mark on what made those films good in the first place. I mean, it happened to um, uh, Independence Day <laughs> uh, with Independence Day Resurgence, and then it happened to Space Jam with uh, Space Jam A New Legacy. And I thought for sure Top Gun Maverick was going to be just another case of those. And surprisingly, it was not. There's some amazing cinematography in this film. I think the aerial shots of the planes are great. They were so good to see on the big screen. I ended up seeing this movie twice, like in the same week, because it was that good. And it made me want to see it like multiple times um, you know, after it first came out and for a film to do that and to make me want to see it like twice so soon back to back, it it just goes to show just how much, you know, there was a lot to offer in this film. I think for a Top Gun film, the first one was not very good. Like I, I don't like the first Top Gun at all. I think it had some good, Music like in the soundtrack and I had some great shots with the the planes because it was stuff that had never been seen before like when the first Top Gun came out the shots in that film were Just so good and they stood out because it was a new thing And it was something that had never been seen on screen before in a way that they filmed it in that film But when it comes to the actual story of the original Top Gun, it's it's bad. (laughs) Like it's not good it's very cliched, and there's kind of a little bit of that in the new one, which is why I don't have it as high as I, pr- I probably could put it. I think Top Gun Maverick is just a little too cliched, and I think there's an, an unnecessary subplot revolving around Tom Cruise and his love interest. I don't even remember the girl's name. Like, There's this girl that is in the film solely to be the love interest of Tom Cruise and nothing else. She adds It's like she doesn't affect the plot at all, and I think the biggest problem is that if she had been cut out of the film entirely, nothing would have changed. Cause it's not really about like her. It's about this new batch of recruits and it's about the new students at Top Gun. And Tom Cruise is basically hired to help them uh, do this mission to destroy these uh, bombs that are hidden in like this. Um, I think it's a like enemy territory and they need it destroyed. And Tom Cruise is the only person that they know can like teach these recruits on how to do it. And, and there was a more powerful narrative between uh Miles Teller he plays uh Rooster and he's the son of Goose from the first one and his dynamic between uh himself and Tom Cruise because you know Tom Cruise he feels a little responsible for Goose's uh death in the first one so when you have his son and he basically holds some animosity towards him for it because he was basically his wingman And I think the tension they had there was, like, very interesting. and It was so much more engaging whenever they were focused on on the film compared to when it was Tom Cruise and the girl that, like, offered nothing to the story. So, uh, I mean, a lot of people probably might disagree with me, but I, 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 I don't care. Like, I think that she was just completely... Like, she was in there for no reason. And I understand why. It's because they couldn't bring the girl back from the first one because, like, she aged and she doesn't look as good, uh, debatably. She doesn't look as good compared to how she looked in the first Top Gun. And they didn't even call her back to make a return. So they were just like, all right, we need some other attractive um, female uh, actress to fill her spot in the film. And I felt like in the first film, they kind of had the romance angle better because she was actually a part of the story. She wasn't just some random girl at a bar, like, on the beach. Was, like, she actually worked at the Top Gun school. So there was always a dynamic between her being, like, Tom Cruise's, like, basically, her, she was her, his boss. And she was the one who was, like, her uh, his teacher and was the one who, like, looked over all of his training at the school. But for here, she's just, like, some random girl... Who works at a restaurant like near the school and that's it and it's not really explained like how they know each other they kind of just first show her at the bar and tom cruise is just chilling there drinking and they just start chatting and we're supposed to be like engaged by this because we're supposed to act as if like we've known who this girl is for like since the first one and we don't so i, I just it just didn't really work for me but I think everything else is its great. I think the cinematography is great. The shots of the planes are amazing. They're, like, so much more better now compared to the original Top Gun. And that's because, you know, technology has evolved, like, in the 40 years, I think, since the last one came out. I think it came out in 1984. Could be wrong on that one, but definitely it was 1980s, I think. And I think the cameras we have now are so much better than they were before. So the kind of shots we can get are just so incredible. And they, they use their cameras to the fullest um, in this film. If, if, if Top Gun Maverick does not win Best like Cinematography at the Oscars, it is rigged. 100%. I mean, the Oscars are already rigged as it is. But I, I don't think there's a more deserving category for anything than cinematography with this one. Because the shots of the planes are absolutely insane. I think this film has the Best Cinematography of the Year. I think the soundtrack was um it was good. Uh at first I didn't like the the scene with them just chilling on the beach playing uh football I think is what they were playing and they had like a One Republic song. I personally don't like One Republic at all, but even the even their song for this film uh, I ain't worried. I'm I'm pretty sure that's what it's called. Even that one started to become an earworm after a while and it started to like <laughs> attach itself to me where I was like, you know, I kind of like this. <laughs> so at at first Uh, There's just a lot of moments that you think are very cookie cutter. But then the more you think about it, the more you're like, no, I could see why they did that. And uh, there's just a very good uh, heartwarming ending as well involving uh, Tom Cruise and uh, Rooster. And they both are a huge part of the film. And I wish they were focused on a little more. But I did like the, the resolution they had at the end where they kind of wrapped everything up in a nice little bow and uh yeah it's it's a great package as a film it's 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 great and i mean i'm sure if there's any film on this list it's probably this one that you've seen so i mean i I would be very surprised if you haven't seen this one already but if you haven't definitely go check it out so number three i have the batman so Batman, for those of you who don't know, is probably my favorite superhero of all time. The Batman, I think, has the best movies. I think he's the coolest. I think that he has the best narrative arc that you could ever put in a film because of the loss of his parents. And there's so many different villains in the Batman world that there's so many different things that you could do with him. And I definitely know that's why there's so many Batman films out there because there's so much you could work with with this character. And this new one, it's great. Uh, One thing that I didn't like, though, was that uh, the Batman is a character who's basically kind of two different people. You have Bruce Wayne, who's the playboy billionaire, (laughs) the rich guy, who is full of charisma, and he gets the ladies, and then you have the night version which is where he puts on the bat costume and he beats up criminals and in this film he's kind of just like brute like emo batman the entire time he's basically like has no charisma when he's bruce wayne when he takes off the bat suit he's kind of the same person which i didn't really like that much but i kind of give it a pass because i think this is just like the early years of batman is when this film takes place i think they say that he had only been batman for like a year or something you know when this film takes place so I can definitely see them working on that in future installments, but I think this is it's a great film. I don't like it as much as I like The Dark Knight and the original 1989 Batman, but I do think that it's great for, like, a modern-day Batman because we haven't had a Batman film since, like, The Dark Knight Rises, and that was over a decade ago. So I think for a new generation, this is a great, um, you know, rendition of the Batman story, and I like how they didn't focus on like Batman and like his parents because it's kind of like what most of the original Batman origin stories are where they focus on the fact that Bruce Wayne's parents are dead and how is he going to deal with that and I like how they just jump straight into the fact that it's not even Batman who gets the opening scene it's the Riddler and the Riddler is a uh, character that hasn't been on screen uh since like Batman, what's he called? Batman Forever. Yeah, Batman Forever. I hate that movie. <laughs> like It's so bad. But I think the Riddler in that one kind of <laughs> ruined any chance of the Riddler to ever be on screen because it was played by <laughs> Jim Carrey. And he was just so over the top with his performance that he wasn't like really a character that you could ever think they could do seriously on the screen. And they do in this one. They make the Riddler a threat. He's definitely a villain he's not over the top i mean in some he's a little over the top there's one scene where he's in prison and he's just like having a conversation with batman and he starts to go crazy and and that felt a little eccentric but when he's like doing the riddler stuff like where he's wearing the mask and he's being menacing and mysterious it was definitely intriguing to see that dynamic with him and batman play out because you didn't know what this guy was capable of and he would only show you what he wanted you to show you and he was kind of testing Batman, and I like that we got to see more of the detective side of Batman because Batman is a detective, like, at heart. He's supposed to be the world's greatest detective. That's one of his nicknames, but they never really focus on that in any of the other films except for this one. So in this film, it kind of stands out on its own because they're having this new side of Batman to where it's not Bruce Wayne and Batman. They're kind of just the same character. But they also show how good of he is as a detective, like in certain scenes where the police are interrogating one of the characters and they have Batman come in. And there's a whole dynamic between him and the police and how the police doesn't the police don't trust Batman like Batman. He's a vigilante. And that's kind of how it's always been in the other Batman films. But it shows how smart he is when the police are investigating the crime scene and they're like, do you know what this means? Like they find a letter from the Liddler and like Batman just figures it out in like three seconds and the police are like, oh, I didn't think of it that way. And it kind of makes Batman stand out more as an actual character rather than just being like some dude in a Batsuit who just beats up criminals because that's kind of the perception that a lot of the characters in Gotham have of him. But when you look at him as an actual character, there's a lot more deeper layers to him and Bruce Wayne as a character. It's just so interesting and I love what they did with him. I think Robert Pattinson was an amazing Batman. I think he was really good in the role. Uh, There was a lot of people who were concerned when he was first announced because they were like, why are you picking Edward from Twilight to be (laughs) the new Batman? But I didn't see it that way. I I always had faith that he was going to be good. I I don't think that it was an odd choice at all when they first announced it. I thought he had a good shot of doing a really good job and he did. He he did a great job. Uh, He did better than anyone could have ever expected him to do and I think that the material he was given was also good, so it allowed him to shine. I wish that we could have seen more of the Bruce Wayne side of it and not just, like, emo Batman the entire time, but uh, it was great. He was great. Colin Farrell as the Penguin, you know, he's getting his own spinoff now uh, on HBO, which doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, he doesn't have that much screen time in the film, but he was a great job. He, he did a great job as well. Colin Farrell looks unrecognizable in this film as the Penguin. They give him makeup, to make him look like a completely different person, and he, he was great. And I wish and I wish he could have gotten more screen time. He did have a really good chase scene, though. He probably had the best scene in the movie where he's being chased by Batman, and Batman's in the Batmobile, and he's getting chased down the highway. And the camera shots in that one were just, uh, just so good. It was just so amazing to see a good like Batmobile chase scene, because we haven't got that since The Dark Knight. And to be able to see it again... Uh, you know, Batman shine and using his weapons and his mechanics that he has and not just like his fists. It really, you know, showed how smart he was and how he wasn't just a dude in a bat costume. So there's definitely a lot to like in this one. If you're a fan of superhero movies, I think this one is really going to stand out to you. I think if you're a fan of action movies, I think this one's also going to be, you know, better than you could ever expect it to be. Uh, This movie has a lot to offer, and I'm very excited to see what they do next with this because this isn't part of the DC universe. Like This is like a separate DC spin-off thing, and I heard that they're making a sequel. So we'll see where they go with this, and I hope they continue with the same stylistic choices they do in this one in the future because I think there's a lot that they could... Have to work with this new world in this universe and I hope that they focus more on this and not like <laughs> The bad stuff that they've been doing lately like you know Black Adam But I did put that on the list though for best of the year, but <laughs> not bad for reasons that uh, It deserved to be but uh, I think Black Adam was kind of good in its own right So I think to compare Black Adam to something like the Batman it's kind of like night and day so I hope they do continue to stick with this kind of world and the kind of stylistic choices because I think if they keep making movies like this, they're really going to stand out compared to Marvel because Marvel has been going downhill, like, so bad, like, since Endgame. And I think DC really has a chance to pick up the slack now that Marvel's been leaving behind. So, number two on the list. So this one was really hard. I think number one and number two were the hardest for me to place because either one of them could have been number one or number two, but I think that I had to do Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, a number two. This movie's amazing. I saw it three times when it first came out. It is, without a doubt, my favorite animated movie of the year. It is a film that kind of gave me hope in DreamWorks again. Like, the bad guys, when that movie came out, I was like, okay, DreamWorks, I see you. Like, I I see you're trying. But with this one, I was like blown away. This is the best DreamWorks film since, like, How to Train Your Dragon. Like, without a doubt. It, it was just so good. Puss in Boots has never been more interesting in the Shrek world. Even without Shrek in it, it still holds up on its own. I think this is the best Shrek, like, franchise film since Shrek 2, which is insane because that's something that I never thought was going to happen. <laughs> like, I thought that it couldn't get any better than Shrek 2, and this one really gives Shrek 2 a run for its money. I mean, Shrek 2 is just one of the greatest films of all time. This one is also one of the greatest films of all time. Uh, All the characters were great. The villains all worked very well. It's very hard for a film to have multiple villains and have them all work out. I mean, just look at Spider-Man 3 (laughs) or The Amazing Spider-Man 2. But this film has multiple villains, and they all fit well in the story. Uh, It's very deep. It's very mature. It's what I like. It doesn't treat the audience as if they're stupid children. It, like, treats the audience with good morality uh, lessons about dealing with death because you know in the film Puss in Boots he's on his last life so it's basically about him finding himself and you know what is he going to do with his last life and it goes very deeper than you would expect it to and this is definitely not a movie that was meant to be kids movie this is a movie that can be enjoyed by anybody I don't think there's anybody who could watch this movie and not like it it's it's that good. Like it's just amazing. The animation looks great. It's basically took the style from Into the Spider-Verse and put its own unique twist on it, and it worked really well. There's no way this movie probably wouldn't have been as good as good if they had filmed it in the style of the regular Shrek movies. I think the 2D, 3D style is really good, and I hope that DreamWorks continues to make films in this style. And uh, it, this movie is just, it, it's great. I saw it three times in the same week. Literally three times. I can't remember the last time I ever saw a movie in theaters, like, so many times back to back to back. And, you know, with Top Gun, I saw it twice. This one I saw three times in the same week. And I s- still would watch it, like, four, five, six more times. Like, it, it's just, uh, there's no, like, again, it's like, I feel like I say this a lot, but there's not really any words that I can say to describe how good this film is. Uh, All the characters are great. There's not a single thing in this film that I can say that I didn't like. There's nothing, like, even with the other films, like, I could always think of, like, one or two things that stood out to me as not being as good quality as the rest of it. But with this film, everything is just so amazing. And it hurts. It hurts so much that I couldn't put this at number one. But there's one other film that I thought was better than Puss in Boots to the Last Wish. And before we get to it, I do have some honorable mentions that I want to talk about. Uh, The first one is Avatar 2. Uh, This film was... It was alright. I definitely think it was too long. I think the last hour definitely drags. There is a uh, final climax where it's basically nothing but fighting for the last hour. And then once the fight's over, there's still another like 20 minutes. And once the fighting stopped, I was like, God, please just get me out of this theater. Like, I I, I just wanted to leave immediately because it definitely dragged. But... I think outside of that, there was definitely some cool special effects. I don't think they really stand out as much as the first avatar because back when the first one came out, we didn't really have that technology, but now everyone has that technology. So the special effects don't really stand out as much as other stuff that you would generally see at the movies. but um I think overall it was a it was a good film. I think James Cameron, the director, definitely knows what he's doing. And now they're going to make multiple of these. I don't know how that's going to go. I mean, this new Avatar 2 made like $2 billion. So it, it definitely seems like Avatar's here to stay, whether I like it or not. But whether I like it or not, I, I don't even know at this point. So we can only hope and see where the next one goes. Uh, another honorable mention I have is Prey. This was the straight to Hulu uh, film that was a reboot uh, slash prequel of sorts to the Predator franchise, which is a franchise that I like a lot. Um, I think Predator is one of the coolest like characters in like film. So the fact that they were giving a new spin on him was cool. And I liked how they t- it took place in Native American times. And the entire film kind of focuses on this one girl who's trying to prove herself to her tribe. So the entire film kind of like relies on her it lies on her shoulders she basically is the main character and the only character outside of the predator himself so to see her fight with the predator was cool and i think they did a great job of utilizing the setting to its benefit because this is definitely a film they could have just like had it shot in like (laughs) modern times And it would have been like no different, but that—that's not the case. They—they definitely utilize the fact that this film took place hundreds of years ago, and you can definitely feel the um, the atmosphere with the camera shots, which definitely stood out to me as a lot. There was a lot of good shots in this film that I never would have expected to see in a predator film so the fact that they really upped the ante on everything compared to the last one because I mean the last predator film that came out was the predator and that was one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my entire life so to go from that to this it's a unique point um you know it's a unique turning point for the franchise and I hope that they continue to stick with this and I'm, I'm curious to see where they go next with it um and then the last honorable mention I have is Turning Red I think this was the best Disney movie that I've seen in a while. I think Disney has kind of sucked, like in the past few years, like really bad. And we're gonna get to that. <laughs> Trust me, we're gonna get to that in the worst list next week. But I think Turning Red is a standout. I, I really liked what they did. Um, I th- heard some controversy online about this one, about how it was about the uh, the effects of like w- w- like teenage girls on their periods and stuff. It's basically what this film is like a metaphor for. But for me, that uh, like I, I just thought that was kind of stupid because it's not about that at all. I think the story was just unique in trying to do something new, which is what I like in films when they try to do something new and creative and it works out. And this film, it definitely works. Uh, I'm definitely a little disappointed that this didn't go in theaters because this is like the best Pixar movie that Pixar has made in a long time. Pixar has been making nothing but like n- unnecessary sequels for their stuff. And it, it they just never worked. Like, Finding Dory I thought was bad. Incredibles 2 I didn't like. Cars 3 was stupid and boring. Like, it's just this, this is what I expected of modern Pixar. It, we're not there yet. I don't think Pixar has gotten to the point where they're making films like how they used to make them. But I think this is definitely a, a turning point for Pixar, possibly, if they can keep this going. I know the next film is Elemental is that they're making. And that's the one with the the water guy and fire girl. So uh, it's basically just like a bunch of like people who are elements like water and air and all that stuff. And I don't know. I feel like it's going to be a little cliche because I'm sick of like Pixar doing the whole. We're going to have two characters that are complete opposites go on an adventure. And then by the end of the film, they're like best friends even though they don't get along at first and it takes an adventure for them to figure it out that they actually have a lot more common than they might think because they kind of have done that a lot they did it in finding nemo they did it in up they did it in inside out and i like how they didn't do it in this one because this was um a unique story and i love the characters and i wish this didn't go straight to disney plus but uh i definitely think that if you haven't seen it already you should definitely check it out if you have a disney plus uh, subscription because i think it's definitely worth your time all right, here we are. The number one movie of 2022 for me is Elvis. <laughs> Without a doubt, it's Elvis. Puss in Boots, I almost put it number one, but this was the film that I looked back on and thought that it was just incredible to watch. It was an absolute joy ride from start to finish. I think that Elvis Presley as a person is a very controversial figure because of the whole like dating of a 14 year old Uh, but i mean that kind of stuff was different back then it's definitely wouldn't fly now but i think that there's something that a lot of people overlook is the fact that you have to be able to like separate the art from the artist like you have to be able to separate the person from the performer and elvis as a singer He's he's a legend. Like he has some of the best music that's ever been made, like on this earth. He has some of the best songs. Like he has some of the best performances, like live when he was doing his performances. He gave his heart and soul into the music industry, and the story of his life was definitely one that was worthy of a movie like this. Uh, I'm not usually a fan of the biopics about famous people. I didn't like Bohemian Rhapsody at all. You know the film about Queen. It was just really bad, and I hated how cliche it was, but in this film, they, like, hold no punches. Like, they straight up just show everything in his life, for the most part, that stood out to make him get to where he was and why he became such a legend. And I also love the fact that they had Tom Hanks play, like, his manager, uh, Colonel Parker, I think was his name. Uh, but he was a huge like part of Elvis's career. And a lot of people didn't even know about his story and how like he manipulated Elvis to get music and how he manipulated him into like getting what he wanted and his money. And I thought that the dynamic between him and Elvis was just so good. And I think what makes this film stand out more than the rest is that it's based on true events. And Elvis is just a figure that a lot of people no is a legend but don't understand how he became such a famous person because that was such a long time ago that elvis was really in the spotlight and i love how this film kind of brought attention to that but i mean austin butler as elvis like i know that it's stupid that he started like impersonating him in real life like when austin butler the guy who plays elvis in the film he does a great job but i i don't like how outside of the film when like he wasn't even on screen he was starting to pretend like him and he was stealing all of his stuff like when he actually performs like in real life and when he goes on to like talk shows promoting the like promoting the stuff when he was dressing up as Elvis and he was just pretending to be him I don't know if it like got to his head but it was definitely weird to see like the stuff outside of the film like and how like behind the screens like how he was really starting to become Elvis in real life because of the performance but uh, without a doubt, this film this film is incredible. I, I, I definitely think that not a lot of people really understood what this film kind of meant for the music industry and to tell the story of a legend like this. I definitely am excited to see if this will continue, like if they make other films on the same type of other artists. I know they've made some before, but they've never stood out like this one has I think that this was the most like awe I was at the theater of how like engaging I was, and there was nothing that I could really say that I didn't like about this one. Well, except for like there was one song I didn't like. There was a, a, a remake of one of the older songs from Elvis's career. I, it wasn't him, but it was like a scene. It was a scene where Elvis was at a at a restaurant. And he was inspired to make one of his, I don't remember what it was, but it was one of his more famous songs. He was inspired by this one singing lady um, at the restaurant who was singing the song about a hot dog. Uh, I, I can't remember the name off the top of my head. But they had Doja Cat made a remix of that song called Vegas, and I don't like this song at all. I thought it was so out of place when they played it in the film because it does the film does such a great job of putting you in the world of, like, Elvis's time. And, like, cause, like I think it was 60s, 70s. Um, the fifties, it it really does a great job of making you feel like you're in that era. And I think when they started playing Doja Cat, it kind of took me out of it a little bit. But other than that, I think the entire film as a whole is great. It's like almost three hours long and it felt like two hours, which is the best thing I could say for a movie of that length. Um, I mean, it wasn't like Avatar where I was definitely like over it after a certain point, I guess it just kept going and going and going, but this film does not, it doesn't waste a single second Every part felt like it was necessary to explain his story and his life. I was so engaged. I was so in awe. And I think that this is 100% worthy of being the number one best movie of 2022. So that's my list. Uh, I'm curious as to what other people would have their list be. Uh, I think that uh, every list is going to be different. Everyone's unique. This is my own personal opinion. And I think that this is a list that I'm happy with. And I think that next week, when we talk about the top 10 worst movies of 2022, that is going to be a fun episode because I have a lot to say about those films compared to the best of the year. Uh, I think I said it in the first week where I was like, the worst is always harder than the best. And it is. But it's going to be an absolute blast because we're going to rip Hollywood to shreds. We're going to rip terrible movies to shreds. It's going to be so much fun to film that episode. And I think you guys are going to really enjoy that one. So as far as this episode goes, that's all I've got for you. And I will see you all next week.